Greetings, fellow sports card enthusiasts. This is the 615 Collector. My name is Doug Turner. And I'm Brandon Turner. And we're your hosts of a weekly podcast that's dedicated to the world of sports cards. So this is show number 10. It is the last show of the year, and it's good to be back. It was actually good to have last week off and enjoy the Christmas holiday, but it does feel good to be back as well, and it feels like it's been a long time, actually. And we have a lot to catch up on because there's been a fair amount of happenings not only in sports in general, but in the hobby as well. Yeah, but we have some other things planned for today, so anything we aren't able to cover today, we will hold over to our next show. Yep, sounds good. So do we want to talk about fantasy football? Go ahead. I'm not in it. You're not, that's right. I'm I guess. not even in it. So. Yeah, you don't do that. Well, it was an interesting season. Your mom was in it. Your mom it plays every year. She loves it, actually, She and she does well. So, actually, she, so she was in the playoffs. I was in the playoffs. We both lost. She actually thinks she lost to her dad. But anyway, it was a it was a tough year. We weren't able to get it done and the trophy's not gonna be coming to join as I'm looking here in the room we're recording in at the baseball trophy that we were able to get here in Tennessee. The football trophy will not be joining it this year, unfortunately. And actually it turned out that it's gonna be a family affair in the championship because Kelly's dad was facing off against Scott, who is a relative of mine and Scott's son Cameron was facing off against Joe who's a family friend out in Oregon and Scott and Cameron both won so you've got father son facing off in the championship so the trophy one way or another will be headed to Colorado Hmm. this year so that's interesting it was only a matter of time both Scott and Cameron are very good at fantasy football seems like every year they're right in the mix so it's only a matter of time before one of them won the championship so this will be their year uh all right let's see what are we going to do let's talk about the show today because we do have a special guest that's going to be joining us and it is another none other than my dad your grandpa and we thought it would be fun to have my dad on for this last show of the year he was actually supposed to be here with us because we were hoping to be together for the holidays but unfortunately between the weather and covid they My dad and my mom weren't able to make it out here to visit us for Christmas and be here for the live recording of the show, but thanks to technology, we are going to still have him on the show today. He will join us virtually, and so we will have what I think is kind of cool because we're going to have three generations of the Turner family on the show to finish out the year, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, um, that's definitely going to be fun. I'm looking forward to hearing some of the stories about some of the people that he worked with, also little bit about who he collected as a kid yeah I grew up listening to a lot of those stories and they're actually kind of pretty interesting and fun to hear so I'm looking forward to that as well and then you know thought it would be interesting and fun to hear about who he collected uh, because I know that he was a Yankees fan he grew up in Denver in the late 40s 50s early 60s that time frame was a Yankees fan collected guys like Mickey Mantle and Yogi Berra Roger Maris all those guys Unfortunately, though, I don't know that his collection survived through the years, so we're going to have to ask him about that. And then, yeah, he was a professional musician in the early years of his career and so played for a number of big names at the time, people like Kenny Rogers or Sonny and Cher, the Carpenters, Dionne Warwick, you name it. And I think he also had interaction with some folks like Elvis Presley and Bill Cosby and Don Rickles and a bunch of others. So we're going to ask him about all that, see if we can get him to tell some stories and he's also got some stories about Siegfried and Roy yeah so when he was playing in Vegas and I think it was at the Stardust we'll have to ask him he was at the Stardust and the Riviera and Siegfried and Roy did their show at one of those I'm not sure which and so 
he has quite a few stories about them that I remember hearing as a kid growing up. Plus, we just we lived right down the street from them. There's a number of stories that we're gonna have to see if we can get him to tell. Do you remember? Did we? Were you? In, did you go to Vegas with us? Did we take you by that house that we used I to live down the street from so. Siegfried and Roy? I don't remember that. Yeah, it was interesting because obviously, I don't remember. So maybe it was just your mom and I when we were back and we went and looked at it. And of course, as you know, as a kid, everything you remember everything being much bigger than it was. So when we drove by the house. It's like that. That's it's a nice house. But it's like that smaller than I remember it, which is probably the case with everything. But, uh, but yeah, Siegfried and Roy House is still there right down the, just literally like a block, maybe a couple hundred yards down the road from where we grew up has a big sort of compound there with walls all around it. And then there's a golf course right across the street, which, um, we'll have to talk to my dad about, cause I know he's got some stories on that as well. All right. And then did you want to mention the website? I do. Yep. Thank you for reminding me about that. We have added a bunch of additional content to the website so be sure to check that out if you go to our website click on hobby resources you'll find everything you need to navigate the hobby we recently added information in the categories of marketplaces card shops consigners and card research um, sites and companies and then we also added a resource to the hobby supplies category which is the superior fit sleeves company and then we added uh, what's called BBCE to the grading company category. That stands for Baseball Card Exchange. They are the leading authenticator of wax. So pa- uh, packs and boxes and things like that. PS, I'm not sure. I guess PSA does grade packs, but they authenticate um, the boxes and things like that um, to show that they've been, for example, unopened and untampered with and that type of stuff. So we've got a ton of of good information and links to all the leading companies in the space. If you're looking for who all the companies are in any particular category, visit our website, go to Hobby Resources. You're going to find what you need there. And then, oh, last but not least, I shouldn't forget, we added Fanatics to the card manufacturing category because before we didn't have them on there because technically they're not manufacturing cards yet, but we went ahead and put them there so you'd have a, a link to their site as well. And don't forget that all episodes of this podcast are also available on our website as well. Yep, so lots of good stuff there with plans to continue to add more and more content. So check back often and subscribe to our email list, which you can do on the site, and we will notify you when we add new content. Okay. At this time of the year, there are always a lot of card giveaways, and this year was no different. If you follow some of the companies in the hobby on social media, mainly Facebook and Instagram, you will have noticed that companies like Tops and Panini were doing a number of giveaways. Yeah, that's one of the things that I like. I think it's great about the hobby. Everyone sort of wants to give back and get people interested and give away some cards. I know Panini was giving away, actually got a free NFT pack from Panini, which was kind of cool. There were three cards in it. Didn't get anything huge, but they did give you some what they call uncommon cards. So they were serial numbered to like, I think 300. Got a Mark Brunel, I think a Michael Thomas, can't remember the other one so nothing huge but still that was fun and then tops was giving away a bunch of wax and many card shops and other content producers that we follow were doing the same and then we got into the giving spirit as well we did yeah i was just gonna say and we did as well we of course did the chad coda autograph card giveaway that was fun those went out right before christmas it's actually been really fun to see and hear the reaction Uh, from some of our winners on those we've gotten some nice feedback on that people were excited i had someone message me the other day or i think it was yesterday saying it's mail day and showed me a picture of what showed up they got their card and he had a son that was excited to get it that was cool that's really fun that's what it's all about 
And then we also did a giveaway last week for a few complete sets of the 1982 Topps 20th Anniversary Kmart Limited Edition Collector Series. That set has 44 cards in it and contains many of baseball's greats like Hank Aaron and Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays and so on and so forth. So it's a great way to introduce kids to some of the all-time greats without breaking the bank because those are not terribly expensive cards and obviously we're giving them away so they're free mm -hmm. to those that want them yep and so we are going to announce the winners on uh, the show today right we can yep already notified everyone that won through our social media channels and we are going to be getting those sets packaged up this week and ready to get them shipped out our winners can look forward to those but we'll go ahead and announce them all right so let me look here we had four winners for that giveaway they included uh there was one on twitter and i'm gonna have to go by their what do you call it their handle yeah yeah so their handle so i'm not sure the name of this person but i did message this person on twitter told them they're a winner they're excited about it but the handle is money patel weather yeah hopefully close, I, close enough hopefully yeah, i pronounced that right okay and then on instagram we had two winners there uh one was bay.t i think i pronounced right but also known as batty earl and then there was one Philip Henry 57, which I think is also known as Phil Barnes. And then we had one on Facebook, and that was Dale Plum. Dale actually was a winner of the Chad Codegard giveaway as well. So love that. Thank you, Dale, for all the love and the support. I know I think he said he was um, had a young collector in mind that he was going to be giving those cards to, which is very cool. Like we said before, that's what the hobby's all about. Congrats to you, Dale, and congrats to all of our winners. We are excited to send those cards to you. And like we said, we're going to be boxing those up and shipping them out this week. So you can look forward to receiving those in the mail soon. All right. Why don't you give a rundown for the show today? All right. Well, first, we will cover all the latest hobby news in the halftime report. And then we'll do a little 2021 year in review. And we're actually doing that. I think we're actually going to end up doing that with our interview. Um, yeah, so, we decided to do that with the interview guest mm -hmm. rather than do it separate. So yeah, yeah. So so really, what we'll do is we'll jump into our special guest interview with uh, my grandpa Stuart or Stu Turner. Stu Turner. Yeah. Is that the first time you've ever called him that? No. No, it's not. <laughs> no. No, definitely not. Did you know his nickname of Meatloaf? Mm -hmm. Did you? Yeah. Really? You heard, heard that before? before? All right. Okay. Let's jump in and get started with the halftime report. All right, so as a reminder, tickets are on sale now for the 2022 National Card Show, which is going to be in Atlantic City beginning July 27th and continuing through July 31st of next year. You can get more information about ticket packages, prices, etc. on their website at www.nsccshow.com. Yeah, and let's give a quick rundown of card releases. I feel like we haven't done this in a while. There have been a ton of cards that have been released over the last few weeks or that will be released in the coming weeks. And so I figured let's try to go through it. And we can try to do it quickly. And by the way, what we're doing with this is these are cards that you can get directly or releases that for the most part you can get directly from the manufacturers. They're still available either on Panini's website, on Topps website, or on Upper Deck's website directly. So you don't necessarily have to pay a markup in the secondary market for them. You can also find them at card shops as well. But since they're still available on the manufacturer's website or else they're going to be released soon, figured we could go through and give kind of a quick rundown. So let's, let's see if we can do it fast. All right. Well, let's start with Panini and with their football lineup. First, they have Spectra Football Hobby Boxes. Those are expensive as they list for about $1,000, and the configuration is four cards a pack and four packs a box. 
You can expect to get one rookie patch auto card, three other autos, four memorabilia cards, and one insert. Then you have Illusions Football. This one has a little more value at $425 with a configuration of five cards a pack and 10 packs a box. You can expect to get three autos, two memorabilia, five parallels, and 10 acetate inserts or parallels in each box. Next we have uh, Zenith Football. This one is being sold by Panini in Dutch auction format starting at $650 and the configuration is six cards a pack and one pack per box. Yeah, this one was interesting because Panini always does what they call their first off the line edition of these boxes. They do it first and those are almost always done in what's called Dutch auction is it really format. A, is it really a box if there's only one pack in the box? I know. Well, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. They sell, it's just a pack. And when you look at it, if you were to pay the $650, you're looking at over $600 or over $100 per card because yeah. you get six cards in the pack, one pack in the box. That's the way a lot of those boxes from Panini especially are now. You get, you know, the more spendy ones, you get the one pack. And those, it, so the Dutch auction format, the way it works is they start at a price, $650, and they work their way down every couple of minutes. And then it might go down to 625 and 600 and so on and so forth until they sell out. So that's kind of how that works. But what's interesting is that they always do that with the first off the line edition, but they generally don't do that with what I'll call their regular hobby boxes. Those usually get sold for a fixed price. But in this case, they're doing the Dutch auction format with their regular ones as well as the first off the line. And the first off the line started at $750, while the regular is starting at $650. The first off the line usually goes for a little bit more because there's usually special, you know, serial numbered cards and things like that in the box. All right. And you can expect to get one rookie patch autograph card, one other auto, one memorabilia, one parallel or insert, and one rookie card per box. Finally, Mosaic is coming soon, and the configuration will be 15 cards per pack, 10 packs a box. And you can expect to get two autos, five silver parallels, 15 mosaic parallels, and 20 inserts per box. Yeah, and they haven't announced the pricing on that yet, so I'm not sure what that's going to be. But obviously, that's an example where you get, what, uh, 15 cards, 10 packs per, uh, or 15 cards per pack, 10 per pack. So you're going to get 150 cards. So even if that came at, you know, four, five hundred, or even $1,000, a little more value there on a per card basis. So you can kind of get an idea what that's like. But let's move on to Panini Basketball. We'll start with Flux a little more of a value brand. Panini has those available directly on their site for about $300. Configuration there is five cards a pack, 10 packs per box. So you get 50 cards at $300. So it's about what, six bucks a card. And collectors can expect to receive one uncirculated encased insert or a parallel or an autograph box topper. You also get another autograph card, one what's called the atmosphere insert, one insert prism, three silvers, and three other inserts in that box. They also have Don Russ Optic, Optic, excuse me, what's referred to as Choice, which is just a different configuration that sells for $575 and has a configuration of six cards per pack, one pack per box. Each box should include one auto, one hollow, two base rated rookies Choice, one Choice Red Parallel, and one other exclusive Choice Parallel. Yeah, that's the same box that you got, only you got the Mega Box, which is a different configuration. That's the Choice Box, so... Um, gives you an idea. We're going to talk later. Did we? I think we can do that in the interview um, about what you pulled out of your yes. box on Christmas. You got some nice cards out of that. All right, let's move on. Next up is Mosaic for basketball. We are in basketball, right? Yep. The hobby box is still available directly from Panini. Sells for six hundred and twenty-five dollars. That's interesting because it's actually been marked down, which is unusual in this day and age. 
it was originally $775, so it's about 20% off of that. Configuration is 15 cards per pack, 10 packs per box. Each box will come with one autograph card, five silver, which is just, a again, a, a parallel or variation, 15 mosaics, another parallel, and 20 inserts. And this product contains the stained glass insert that is kind of popular, as well as the gold parallels that are numbered to 10 and the black parallels numbered to one. Those are some of the more highly sought after cards in that set. All right. And they also have flawless collegiate basketball for the low price of $3,000. Ha ha. And this box has 10 cards per pack, or per pack, excuse me, and one pack per box. So about $300 per card. Each box should contain six autos, two memorabilia, and two diamond or diamond autos. Yeah, that one's expensive. And also keep in mind it is collegiate, so you're not getting pro uniforms from those players that's in their collegiate uniforms. But I will say it does contain some really nice RPAs, which just stands for Rookie Patch Autograph Cards. And it also has what are called gem cards in it, which just means that some come embedded with actual diamonds. So when you talk about those diamond autos are the diamond ones they come with actual diamonds embedded in the cards all right and then finally they have immaculate basketball which comes with six cards a pack and one pack a box and each box should include three autos and two memorabilia cards yep and i don't know what the price on this one is yet i don't know if they've announced that it will probably be a little on the spendy side but this one i like a lot there's going to be some really nice rookie patch autos in this set and these are pro uniforms, unlike the uh, other one that is the flawless, which is collegiate uniforms. And so I think this one, if you are willing to spend what they're going to be, you know, priced at, which we don't know just yet, but I have a feeling it'll be four figures. It's a it's a nice one to go after. So let's jump over to Tops, and you why don't you take the first one? All right, Tops has a number of baseball products available, including Allen and Gittner chrome hobby boxes which can be bought directly from tops for 125 dollars the configuration is four cards a pack 18 packs a box and each box should include six refractors 18 mini cards seven inserts and uh, possible uh on card auto yeah on card yeah. auto yeah those what are is the, that one well they're only doing them so instead of doing them one per box they're doing them i think one per case i don't know how many there's maybe i don't know 10 or 12 boxes in a case so there'll be one box in each case that'll contain an, basically an a autograph card. And when we say on-card auto, it just means that the player actually signed the card because sometimes they sign stickers and then they put the mm -hmm. stickers on the card. And so it's a sticker auto is what they call it. So the on-card auto is just that the player actually signed on the card as opposed to on a sticker. Yeah, and, you know, that Alan Gittner is a fun one to rip as well because there's a lot of interesting cards in that set. They're not always all just sports cards or baseball cards they last year i think had some there was a cryptocurrency card that ended up getting popular there are sometimes do some celebrity cards and a variety of different things so it's kind of a fun one all right next up for tops baseball is the heritage high number hobby box which sells for 85 dollars. comes with eight cards a pack 24 packs a box and you can expect to get one auto or relic card per box yeah i got a couple of those i've only ripped one so far and i got the relic card which it's okay. You, I'd rather have the auto. <laughs> but So hopefully the next one I have will have the auto in it. And then you also have, Tops has what's called their Chrome Black set. That sells for $150. Um, not a lot in an absolute basis, but it is a fair amount on a per card basis because it's configured with four cards per pack and only one pack per box. So you get a total of four cards. So what is that? Maybe $20, $30, $40 a card, something like that. You can expect to get one encased chrome autograph card and one refractor parallel card per box. 
Tops also has their baseball update series available for $80 per box, and that comes with 14 cards a pack and 24 packs a box and includes an auto or relic card. And then finally, they have their Bowman Inception product, which goes for $135, comes with seven cards a pack, one pack a box, and includes two autos and one parallel. Yeah, I like that one. I actually did order a couple of those for myself. It'll hopefully be showing up soon. That one is basically a prospect set, so it has a lot of the, you know, the upcoming prospects in baseball. And then we've got Upper Deck, which has a number of hobby and blaster boxes still available on their website. You can still get that Space Jam blasters that we talked about for $25. They have those the 2021 Skybox Metal Universe hockey blasters. That's a fun one to rip and, and goes for $30. They have the 2021 Extended Series Hockey Hobby and Blasters for $90 and $25 each, respectively. Then they have the 2020 and 2021, what's called the Allure Hockey Blasters for $30. I like those because the Allure has what's called the City Selly inserts, which I think are cool inserts and I think might gain in popularity over time. You can also pick up the 2020 to 2021 Rookie Hockey Box set for $20 and and still have the 2020-21 uh, Series 2 Hockey Blasters and Hobby Boxes, which sell for $25 and $90, respectively. Yep, and those ones contain, and I'm talking about the Series 2 uh, set or, or blasters and Hobby Boxes they've got. They have the Young Gun inserts, which are just the popular rookie cards for hockey players. And in the Series 2, it includes uh, some of the players like uh, Kirill Kaprizov, Ty Smith, and Keandre Miller. Finally, they also still have the 2019-20 Series 1 Hockey Hobby for $83. Yep, and that one also contains the Young Guns rookies as well. And in that one, you'll get, or well, you won't necessarily get, but you have the chance of pulling a Jack Hughes or a Quinn Hughes or a Victor Olofsson or Dominique Kubelik. Hopefully I pronounced that name right. Okay, so that's a comprehensive rundown of card releases and what's still available directly from the manufacturers. So let's go ahead and move on to other hobby news. So we'll move on to the fractional ownership platforms. And to start, the CEO of Collectible, Ezra Levine, went on their podcast last week and talked about a couple of the big developments in store for 2022. The first of which is that Collectible will be expanding internationally into Canada at first and then into other countries as they work through the regulatory approvals. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that because obviously anything that's going to bring more customers or investors to their platform is a positive, both in terms of the liquidity, but I'd also say in terms of something I refer to as price discovery or just basically getting a more efficient and better balance between supply and demand so that you achieve kind of the optimal pricing on the assets on their platform. So looking forward to that. He also mentioned that they will be launching a website in addition to their mobile app. Yeah, that's welcome news as well because, you know, they didn't have a website before. It was all done on the mobile app. So now they're going to have a full functioning website that's no different than the mobile app. So investors can use that website to participate in IPOs, trade in the cards listed on their platform, that kind of stuff. So that's going to be a nice addition. Looking forward to that one as well. There were also a few buyout offers on the collectible platform. The first was for a Steph Curry card. It was his 2009 National Treasures RPA, graded 9.5 by BGS, and they initially received a buyout offer of $700,000. Yeah, and for reference, that card came public on their platform back in April of 2021 at a value of $497,000, and the card was trading for around $599,000 prior to that $700,000 offer. Yeah, and then a short while later, they received a higher offer, uh, which was $780,000, and investors accepted that offer. Yeah, and we also, so that one was interesting, because I'm not sure, I'm trying to think on the timing of that, if that occurred either right 
before or after the when he broke that three-point record i'll have to go back and look i'm not sure on that but obviously his his stuff has gotten popular we also got notice from collectible that they are seeking shareholder approval on a couple of items that we're invested in to put up for auction at the upcoming mint collective and we'll talk about what that is in just a minute there may be other items that we're not invested in that they're also going to do the same thing with but the two that we received the inquiry on are the kareem abdul jabbar nba all-time point record breaking basketball and the which we talked about on the show before and the 1910 e98 it was a psa 10 graded ty cobb card i think we talked about that one on the show before too we were invested in both of those they were approved by investors to be to be put up for auction at that upcoming event in january and so it's going to be interesting to see how they do so how will that work are they guaranteeing a profit for investors yeah they actually yeah sort of basically at least for the initial investors they are so they had Leland's, which is an auction house, appraise the items, and both appraised for a higher value than they came public on on, on the platform. And so both are going to have what's referred to as a reserve price to ensure that if they sell, it has to be at or above that reserve price. And that reserve price essentially guarantees it would produce a profit for shareholders that got in on that initial IPO. If it doesn't sell for at least that amount or more, then it won't be sold and it'll go back on their platform. Okay, so now let's talk about what is the Mint Collective. Yeah, exactly. So this is it's this one's going to be interesting. I think it sounds like a lot of fun. It's essentially an industry conference, and it's really the first of its kind for this hobby. Obviously, they do card shows all the time, but I don't know that there's ever been a conference like this. It's scheduled to be held in late January from the 28th to the 30th. It's going to be in Las Vegas. It's going to have a variety of things from educational content. There's going to be auctions like we, we just talked about. There, it will have a card show element to it because there's going to be, I think, dealers there and kind of a marketplace to buy and sell cards and so forth. I think it's going to be a fun event. There's going to be a number of panels of speakers who are kind of experts in the industry. They're going to have breakout sessions on a variety of industry-related topics. Like we said, auctions, marketplaces, all that kind of stuff. I think there's going to be celebrity guests, just a bunch of stuff planned. So should be fun. Yeah, and if anybody is interested in attending, you can purchase tickets and find out more about the event at www.themintcollective.com. All right. Then also on the fractional share front, I know we mentioned the capital that Dibs raised earlier this month, but I'm not sure that we ever noted that Amazon was an investor in that fundraise and so thought we would bring that up. Terms of Amazon's investment weren't disclosed, but it was an interesting development because and remember, Dibs is a fractional ownership, kind of like collectible company. And if uh, if Amazon starts becoming more serious about getting in the collectible space, that would certainly shake things up a bit. And remember that Nat Turner, who's the head of PSA, also has an investment in Dibs as well. Speaking of Nat Turner, it was announced that he made an investment in HobbyDB, which is an online database and marketplace for collectibles. Yeah, this one may not be as well known in the sports card space, but apparently he made a small investment during their crowdfunding round which by the way i'm happy to say i participated in that as well that was probably one of my first what they call sort of micro uh investments private investments so nice to know i'm an investor alongside nat now haha <laughs> i don't think i put up as much as he did but now he upped his investment with an additional fifty thousand dollars and as he said quote there are good databases out there for trading cards and sneakers but hobby db is the first approach that I saw that can do this for any type of collectible. And that is not only extremely powerful, but a potential game changer for the industry. So I think HobbyDB is a real interesting um, company in the space. And hopefully with this investment and getting names like Nat Turner involved, 
they'll be able to grow and become a bigger player. Uh, for those that don't know what they are right now, they got a lot of information on things like Funkos or Hot Wheels and a variety of other collectible items like, I don't know, what's the Hard, uh, hard Rock Cafe collectibles and different things like that. But again, it's going to be interesting to see how all these investments develop over time. All right. So in grading company news, PSA has got their backlog essentially caught up through January of 2021. So it leaves about two months of backlog. They shut down at the end of March. They have opened up their regular service level at $100 per card. And they are doing some flash sales with their economy and value service levels. They did one in December for $50 per card. They also said that they are allocating 80% of their grading capacity to the backlog and 20% to the new submissions. Yep. Unfortunately, I did not get in on that flash sale for the economy and value service, but I'll be looking for the next one whenever that comes up. And then this one, a little bit dated, but we didn't have a chance to cover it yet, so thought to mention it here, and that is the errors that were made on the Topps World Series cards. Did you see this? Mm-mm. Okay. I did well, not. yeah, it was interesting. They made some very, well, at least two glaring errors when they first released the Atlanta Braves World Series champion cards. And the first was that they credited Dusty Baker as the manager when he was actually the manager of the Astros, who the Braves beat. In the World Series. And the second error was that the card said the Braves clinched the World Series in five games, but they actually won it in six games. So Tops apologized for the errors. They promised to send buyers replacement cards with corrections. And for what it's worth, I've already seen some of those error cards popping up for sale. So it is going to be interesting to see what happens with those. All right. In NHL news, after pausing the season for a week over Christmas, the NHL has announced that players will be skipping the Olympics because the league will use the break originally scheduled during the Olympics to replay the games that were postponed as a result of the recent COVID outbreak. Yeah, that was unfortunate because it would have been the first Olympics for guys like Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews. And so it would have been interesting to see what kind of impact that might have had on some of their cards. But now they're not going to be able to play. And not so great news, our local card shop, Nash Cards, was broken into Christmas Eve night or maybe early Christmas or yeah, early morning Christmas day with what they described as a smash and grab. Yeah, really hated to see this one. Obviously, anytime hate to see some a card shop get broken into, but especially at Christmas. I know he put a video out literally Christmas morning at like six in the morning because he probably had to go down there and and deal with uh, his card shop being broken into. So that was not good at all and hate to see that happen. That's a great shop. They have really good people that run that shop. And unfortunately, I know we say this all the time now, but with the money that's coming into the space, we're just seeing more and more bad actors and things like this. So bring this up because if you're going to be making any card purchases in the near future, I would urge you to check out Nash Cards. Let's try to support them in any way that we can. Like I said, it's a great shop with great people behind it. We do have a link to their store on our website. It's under that hobby resources menu item and then go under local card shops and look for Nash Cards. You can find a link to their site there, and then they've got box, you know, wax and boxes and individual cards and things like that that they sell online and that they can ship to you. And if you are going to purchase anything, you know, in the next you know few weeks, give them a look because we'd love to see an outpouring of support for their store after that unfortunate event. And one last thing I should say there too: remember, we say this we're independent. We don't take payment from anyone to report on or talk about anyone on our show take no money at all so it's just completely independent based on our experiences and and the dealings that we have with different people so we'd love love to see them get some support from our listeners and and folks in the hobby all right in other news the nfl announced their pro bowl selections but we don't have time to go over all of those today 
along with some interesting snubs, but we will carry that over to our show next week. Similarly, Major League Baseball released their 2022 Hall of Fame ballot, and so we'll add that to the agenda for next week's show. And one more that we'll add to next week's show, that's the NBA Hall of Fame nominees. They recently released those, and so I'd like to spend some time on that. I know you would as well. And also, including in that, are uh, some WNBA players on that list that I'd like to talk about. Speaking we'll carry of, that to next show. Yes, yes. Speaking of the NBA, a few notable events over the past couple of weeks. First was obviously Steph Curry breaking the three-point record. Yeah, I mean, obviously that was somewhat inevitable. And his stuff, you know, the cards, the memorabilia, all that are very hot right now. And I would suspect that the memorabilia from that game, like the jersey he wore, the shoes he wore, that kind of stuff, if that ever comes to market, I'm sure that's going to sell for a pretty penny. And if the Warriors make another title run, it's going to be interesting to see how his stuff reacts. So we'll spend some time on that next week. And then also thought this was an interesting tidbit. LeBron James has now lived more of his life in the NBA than out of the NBA. He spent 6,752 days and counting in the NBA and 6,752 days not in the NBA. Yeah, that is an interesting fact. That's Think about interesting, so 670, yeah. so what is that? 20 to be 20. Yeah, I guess it's like 20 years, give or take. Because he entered the, was he, he was a teenager when he entered was he mm-hmm. 18 or 19 Something when he came like into the NBA? Yeah, he's a teenager. That's really interesting. You think about it. More of your life's been in the NBA than not in the NBA. He's had a long career. Yeah. All I right. also want to say LeBron is now the leading Christmas scorer. He passed Kobe. What? On, on Chris, on Christmas. Scoring on Christmas yeah, Day? Yeah, scoring on Christmas Day. Because he's been in like 15 consecutive Christmas games or something. Yeah. So he's now, Bron is now the all-time Christmas scorer. That's interesting. Congratulations, Bron. Yeah. There All you right. Go. All anyway. right. Hey, well, on that note, any Ben Simmons trade rumors you want to talk about? Man, I haven't heard anything. You haven't I don't heard know anything? what Ben Simmons is doing. I feel like every day it's a different team. I, I honestly feel like every well, day exactly. I see a report that says Ben Simmons going to go to – the latest one is Cleveland, going to go to Cleveland. But Cleveland honestly, has nothing to offer him, so, you know. <laughs> I honestly have not seen any of them. I really don't keep up with it because most of them – if any of it had actually, like, any, like, truth to it, I would have. Yeah, but most of the like most of them are just rumors. I don't know. I don't really hear about it that much. They are rumors. I it's, like, I, although legit. I will say this, the at the very least, the rumors are heating up, and so that suggests that you know where there's smoke, there's fire. So I think obviously conversations are probably happening. Hopefully, and hopefully there's movement there some sooner than later, and we'll kind of find out where he's going to go. The Portland Trailblazers rumors have kind of died down a little bit. I still feel like that might be a good landing spot for Probably. him, but we'll see. Depends on what Portland does, but yeah. Yeah. Nothing concrete. Okay. Well, and I don't know if you heard the Sports Card Live podcast with Jeremy Lee. That is a good podcast, by the way, for anyone that likes to follow the hobby and wants more podcasts to listen to. Check that one out. He had Adam Martin, who's one of the founders of Dave and Adams. They're a big retailer of sports cards. He had Adam on his show. And I thought had a take um, on the possible impact of the NIL changes that was kind of interesting. And again, NIL just stands for name, image, and likeness, the changes that the NCAA made so that those collegiate athletes can be paid. And he noted that for some athletes, if they make a bunch of money from signing their autographs coming out of school, they may not be as willing to sign a bunch of autographs for some of the card companies. And so it could have an impact on the availability of autograph cards in future years it was an interesting take it's not one i had heard before and so i thought figured i just bring it up for discussion here because i think there's probably some truth to it and i think most guys probably I think they're gonna take whatever chance they get to make yeah money, i mean i honest. think they're gonna take the money it doesn't seem that it's hard nice to sign money. some stuff it's some time but like it's not anything difficult so yeah you would think it's pretty easy money on the other hand if they've already done a bunch of it they've made their money 
maybe it's, you know, hey, I don't need to do as much of this. Because there have been players, and I can't remember some of the names off the top of my head, but there have been some players in the past who've not signed as much stuff because they just they didn't want to and they didn't really have a need to from a financial standpoint. I mean, yeah, that's fair, but, like, all these players are kind of chasing the bag. So, like, if, if even if you get, like, an 80 million contract, you're going to want more. True. You know? Probably true. So, all right. Well, so, I just you know, thought it was uh, interesting, so I was going to bring I would, that I one would, up. I would keep signing stuff. All right. So, finally, let's touch on the MLB lockout because not much is happening there. Looks like that lockout's probably going to run well into 2022. Yeah, baseball's struggled a little of late in terms of the fan base and the popularity. And so this lockout, if it turns into something more, I just don't think it's going to help matters. And both sides seem to be digging in and using the calendar as leverage. But that only makes it more likely, in my opinion, that spring training gets impacted by this and possibly the regular season. We'll see. Talks are supposed to start up again after the beginning of the year. But I think we said when this first hit that it didn't look good based on the positioning and public statements that both sides were making. And so far, I can't say that things look any better. So we'll see how that plays out. But all right, that's probably enough for now. We really did that in rapid fire format, covered a lot of ground. So let's go ahead and wrap up and do well. We won't do the 2021 year interview because we're going to do that in the interview. So let's jump into our guest interview and then we'll come back after the interview and wrap up the show. All right, so we thought it would be fun to have my dad on for this last show of the year. He was supposed to be here with us in person. We were hoping we were going to all be together for Christmas and to record this live in studio, in studio, in the rec room of our house. But unfortunately, weather and COVID had other plans. So my parents and your grandparents weren't able to visit us and get out here this year. But Thanks to modern technology, we can still do the show. And so we do have my dad and your grandpa joining us virtually today. So we have three generations of the Turner family on the last show to finish out the year, which I think is pretty cool. So dad, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. All right. First question. We've got a few things that we want to talk about. And then we're also going to do a little year in review and always like to play games. So we've got a game that we'll play as well. But um, before I get into that, I'm going to ask you, because I don't know, Brand, I don't know if you've heard this name before, but I have grown up. So I know that people would call you, well, let's say your name. We haven't said, we said my dad and your grandpa, but I, your name is Stuart. People call you Stu. And yeah. I've heard you called meatloaf. Yeah, I've heard that. You've heard that? <laughs> so what's the story behind meatloaf? That uh, that actually started with a, a trombone player that was a good friend of mine at the, worked at the Riviera together, Archie Lecoque. And he's yep. the first one that called called me meatloaf. And, that, you know, it, it came, there was another trombone player there named Carl Fontana. And he, he used to call me a beef stew. And then Archie started calling me meatloaf. And, and I still get a call every once in a while from Archie and he'll answer the phone saying meatloaf. And, and you know, so that's nice. stuck for a lot of years because that's been uh, 40 years ago, 45 yeah. years ago that that nickname kind of stuck. I, I remember, I have fond memories, I guess, of Archie, other than when he would rub my arm hair together when I was a kid. But yeah, I was known for having a lot of hair in my arms. I don't so much anymore now as an adult. Do. 
but as a kid I did and they're kind of hairy. He would always, yeah. All right. That's a good segue because we did want to talk a little bit about your music playing days and then we can also get into your, you know, growing up as a kid in Denver and your the cards that you collected because I know you collected a lot of them. We can talk about what happened to that collection, but for, before we do that, let's and you know this, right, Brandon? So yeah. you played professionally in Vegas for many years and what might be kind of interesting for some of our our listeners will be some of the folks, I guess, some of the stories and people that you had an opportunity to meet, because while we do a lot of talk about sports cards, there is a growing interest and a, a growing space in the celebrity card or musician card or whatever you want to call it. But it's a it's an area that's growing. And I think we're going to continue to see that area grow. And Leaf has done this with their pop century cards that they that they put out there and stuff like that. So anyway, so it's a growing space and people always love to hear stories about famous celebrities or musicians or whatever. And I know dad that you played with, with or for a bunch of them while you were in Vegas. So you were, but I'm trying to remember, you said the Riviera, weren't you, did you play at the Stardust as well? Yeah, I played at the Stardust for uh, about almost five years, about four and a half years. And that, that was basically what they call the production show. It's like the, the Follies Bergere and the Casino de Paris. It, at the Stardust, it was the Lido de Paris show. Okay. And those are the big production kinds of shows that they put on. Uh, and that's actually the first time I saw uh, Siegfried and Roy, because in between the big production numbers, they had sort of guest acts that did stuff. Yeah. And so they brought uh, the guy that was the producer of the show at St. Siegfried and Roy over in Germany and brought him over to specifically be a part of that show. And so from, from my perspective, sitting on the bandstand, which was kind of like a, almost like a mushroom that set up to the side and above the stage, I could see Siegfried and Roy from kind of the side to the back. Yeah. And, and try to figure out how they did the tricks that they did with their animals. Yeah, yeah a good view of the, of the yeah, show. Because, for and for those, yeah, yeah, and so we we may have a few listeners that aren't that don't know who Siegfried Roy is. So for those who don't know, so Siegfried Roy was a very popular magician act. It was two yeah. their brothers, right? No. No? Okay. No, they're, they're not related. They're just they're just friends. Okay, just two friends. They did they had a magic act in Vegas forever, for decades, I think. And the the sort of the the um the stick if you will of their act was they had all these exotic animals they had tigers and lions and cheetahs and but they the, they had the one was it sarah the tiger what was the tiger's name that was sort of the one popular yeah sarah was the bengal tiger yeah bengal tiger yeah show. and they they did stuff like you know they would put her in a cage and then uh cover the cage but you could see underneath it still and then go through their shtick and and pull the cover off of the cage and Sarah was was gone and yeah. disappeared. Never figured out how they did that. Huh? It was That's a, an, and you could you see behind it? I could see behind. I could see underneath the whole bit, but never figured it out. So. Huh? That's interesting. Uh, by the way, this year Siegfried uh, died. Oh. Anyway, so I did know. not actually know that. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Yeah. That's too bad. Well, I do you have know, to. Act. We lived. 
they live just half a block down the street from us. I know. So that's what I was going to ask you about next, because <laughs> now I wasn't, I was little, I, we moved from Las Vegas probably when I was about six years old. So I don't have a whole lot of memories about it, but I do have some. And I do know that Siegfried and Roy lived like just a half a block down the road and had all their animals living at their house with them. And I would always hear you all, you and mom tell stories about how those animals would get out and ransack the golf course that was nearby in the neighborhood and everything else. And I'm thinking you guys let me and my sister play in the front yard of the house. What's that all about? <laughs> Actually, usually we would not let you play in the front yard okay. of the house uh, because of that. Uh, we could hear every day around four o'clock was kind of feeding time for the, for the animals. And you could hear them all start to, to growling and making a lot of noise. And then one day, Sarah, the, the Bengal tiger, got out and came down the street to, to neighbors just a couple doors down and was just laying there, not causing any problems. He, you know, he was basically a pretty tame animal. But he's still, I mean, Bengal tigers are still wild animals. Yeah. So he was laying down on the street there, right by the front yard of this house. And their little dog, little teeny dog, came out and started yapping and, and running at him and all of that. And and so Sarah just kind of reached out and swatted the dog. And, of course, uh, she was a big, powerful cat and, and swatted the dog and killed it, you know, so... Mm. That was a little a little frightening when that, that happened just a couple doors down from us. But, yeah. but for the most part, they were they seldom. Cheetah did get out one time on the golf course and ran around. <laughs> Didn't do any problem, but caused a lot of golfers to panic. Oh, I should think so. Could you imagine if you're getting ready to tee off? You say, "Wait, is that a is that a cheetah? What is that? Is that a cheetah?" <laughs> so that yeah, it was an interesting time then. Uh, matter of fact, they still live there, right up till the time this year when when's passing. How big of a house do you have to have to like house all those animals? They had it was basically almost like a full block. Uh, they had, yeah, and they had a huge wall around the entire estate. It was like a compound, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That they yeah, had. and they still get out. Yeah, I I remember that, and I also we we went by that sometime later when I was more of an, I guess when I was an adult, we went back and visited Vegas and tried to go and see the old house that I spent my early years growing up. And that, yeah, that compound was still there. It's got the big wall, like a six or eight foot wall, concrete wall all the way around it. So yeah. did the neighbors not like that they lived there? The neighbors, you know, didn't mind. Nobody really complained. For the most part, it wasn't really a problem. There were some people that complained that said, they shouldn't be allowed to have animals like that in a residential neighborhood. But this neighborhood was outside the city limits. It was in the county. So uh, any of the city regulations and rules didn't apply to them. So they, they were perfectly within their legal rights to have all these anim animals there. And people just kind of ignored it, didn't really think much about it. One more question on that, and then we can move on to some other stories to talk about. So I've heard you tell stories about when you guys were sort of in between sets, I guess, backstage, and then Siegfried and Roy would bring the animals through. Yeah, and a lot of times uh, we had a, a band room upstairs where we would all 
you know, when we came in, put our cases and get ready to play and all of that. And Siegfried would bring, especially one of the, the cheetahs up to kind of walk them through the, the dressing rooms and the band room and all that kind of stuff. And one time we were all sitting around waiting for the second show to start. And we had this big long table that had horn cases on it and all that. And there was a, a bow tie sitting on the saxophone case that one of the players had just put it there, you know, during the break. And the cheetah got up on that table. And the table was probably maybe 15 feet long. It was a big, long table. And all of a, I was sitting there, and all of a sudden, this cheetah just, boom, instantly sprang from one end of the table to the other end where this bow tie was sitting and grabbed the bow tie and just ripped it to shreds. You know? <laughs> I thought it was like a rat or some kind of a rodent. Yeah, some kind of a, a rodent or something. Yeah, exactly. And we're all sitting there with our hands on our neck, hiding our bow ties. Cause yeah. we, we had bow ties on. Anyway, that was the only real incident. Well, one night after the show, I would, I had come out of the stage door and Siegfried was out there with Sarah, their Bengal tiger. And was Sarah was just sat down on the parking lot and wasn't going to move. And, and Siegfried had this big rope on him, on her and, and kept tugging, kept saying, come on, Sarah, come on, Sarah. And, and, and Sarah didn't even budge. I mean, he could pull as hard as he wanted and it didn't <laughs> affect her at all. And I, so I, I kind of just went around him and, and left thinking, I don't want to be here if Sarah yeah. gets really mad at him for pulling that rope and that starts attacking. So, yeah. Uh, but she was, like I said, she was a, a tame animal. A lot of times when I was going to work, they had a they had a van that they'd take their animals down in to the to the stardust. And a lot of times they were going to work about the same time I was. And a lot of times I'd come up behind their van and I could see Sarah's head in the back window of the van looking out at me. It was, oh, wow. it was strange. But that would be an yeah, that'd be an interesting view if you're in a car behind that van and bear a tiger looking out at you. the other lane immediately. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Right. And you played for a lot of big stars, I guess. What are some of the, and, and, you know, some of them are probably before people in this era's time, but still, There's what still are, people know who they are? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I know I'm looking at a record that you gave to us that was signed to you from, well, it was the, I guess it was the first edition, but people may not know that that was actually Kenny Rogers' band. So you played for Kenny Rogers. I guess what were your most memorable moments or the the people that you enjoyed the most that you met that you got to play play with or for? Well, there were there were a lot of them. Some, you know, we played for a lot of comedians as well as a lot of the big name singers of the era. One of one of the favorite shows that that I always enjoyed playing was the Carpenters. Yeah. I remember meeting the Carpenters actually. Yeah, that was their show was the last show that, that I played before we moved up to Oregon. Hmm. And so we took you and Pam uh, down backstage and, and introduced you to Karen and Richard, and you got to talk to them a little bit and stuff. So they were really neat people and great, great musicians. Uh, some of the more famous people, too, were Burt Bacharach was one of the big shows that we did all the time. Oh, yeah. A lot of people now don't know who Burt Bacharach is. He's still alive. And he's written 
so many big hit songs. Yeah. And a lot of them were recorded by Dionne Warwick. And Dionne is still around. And she's a, an amazing singer. And we did her show a lot. She's uh, the, isn't she the aunt or somehow she's related to Whitney Houston, right? Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, Whitney Houston, yeah, is, is her niece. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, uh, Dionne's sister actually was one of the one of her background singers when she came in to the Riviera. Her name was uh, oh, Sissy Houston. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that was uh, interesting thing about Dionne. I mean, she's first of all she's a very good musician, has a master's degree in music, and so you know she understands what she's doing musically and stuff. The other thing is she was a real fashion plate. I mean, I probably worked her show, probably played her show, I don't know, close to 100 times. And I never saw her wear the same dress twice. Hmm. She wore That's a funny. different dress and, and these magnificent dresses that she wore every single show, every even two shows a night, the first and second show were different dresses and stuff. Huh. You know, so that was interesting. We, yeah. I was just that mom and I were just talking the other night because we were watching, uh, oh, the Kennedy Awards shows that was on. And they honored uh, Barry Gordy, who is, you know, the head of Motown. Yeah. The founder of Motown. And I was talking about we we played a lot of the Motown acts, the okay. Temptations and the Stylistics and a whole, whole bunch of the, those those acts that were all Motown stars. And yeah. those were always kind of fun to play because the music was really uh, upbeat and upbeat and funky and yeah one of my favorite acts too was the fifth dimension yeah they were huge at that time i've actually played the last show that they did as a group and then after that billy davis jr and marilyn mccu the two of the main singers in the group broke off and went on their own and and did their own act and stuff hmm. and we played then the first show that the two of them did together we played so so, so is billy is is billy davis jr any relation to sammy davis jr no okay no. but but he and marilyn mccu are married okay their husband and wife and and uh, neat people billy was was neat and marilyn was a really nice person as well uh, then, one of the most interesting people that we did not from a music standpoint but we played Don Rickles, I don't know how many times. Don Rickles. Dozens and dozens of times we, we played Don Rickles' show. And and contrary to what his show is, you know, where he basically his show is built on insulting people and, and stuff. But off stage, uh, he's one of the nicest guys in show business, just kind and caring. And he was total opposite of what he what you saw. On what stage. he was on stage. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that's nice. And then we are a family-friendly show, so probably can't tell the story that I've heard you tell about Elvis Presley coming up on stage. But um, but that was that your only experience with it? That was a Don Rickles show, too, I think, as I've heard you tell the story. And then Elvis Presley came on stage, and we'll just say he wasn't quite coherent. Yeah. And, and yeah. Uh, it, was, it was kind yeah. of interesting because, uh, you know, everybody – all of Elvis's people claim, oh, no, he didn't have a drug problem, blah, blah, blah. And I saw him when he was pretty drugged out where he really didn't even know where he was. 
And so, yeah. and Rickles was very cool about the way he handled them. He just kind of made a big deal. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Elvis Presley. And, and as he walked him kind of off stage. <laughs> yeah. He obviously was not in the kind of condition they should be in front of an audience. Right. Yeah. So. Now, and I guess this is a little more of a controversial name now. Uh, and I'm thinking of Bill Cosby because obviously some of the trouble that he got himself into, but back then, obviously he was a, a huge name or maybe, no, actually, well, he was a huge name after then, but when you saw him, he was literally just getting started. Right. Yeah. And I never, we never played Bill Cosby's show, but Archie did uh, before I actually knew Archie, he had been in Las Vegas for a number of years and he worked up at the Flamingo for quite a few years. And that's where Bill Cosby got his start. Mm. And I, Archie told me many times about how Bill Cosby was not, very confident. He was really felt inferior, didn't think he was going to make it, didn't, didn't think anybody was going to think he was funny and blah, blah, blah. He was probably, you know, 25 years old at the time. So it's hmm. a long, long time ago. But Interesting. And then what about, I was also going to ask you about, because you played, uh, I think, did you play Sonny and Cher? Wasn't that a big act when you were there? They were, they were a big act. Yeah. And and that that, that was fun fun stuff to play, although they weren't the, the greatest musicians, but they had good people <laughs> around them. Yeah. The musical directors and the people that usually the stars that came in would bring their own, it was usually a piano player conductor with them. And sometimes they brought their own rhythm section and maybe a, a, a drummer and bass player as well, not always. And then they came in and then brought their music and we played background for all of those and and so most of the the stars that came in had really talented people with them musical directors and and rhythm section players and stuff i remember that very well i got to be good friends with a guy named joe mealy who was uh, dion warwick's music director for a long time and we had him over at our house for dinner actually and he told stories about working with that group mm that were interesting because I bet they were, they were not the most organized group in the world and, and they would spring stuff on him like last second. And Joe actually was also the arranger for Dion. So he arranged all the parts that for all the songs she did. And uh, sometimes she would say, I want to do this on the show. And it was like two days before the show opened. So <laughs> he would have to scratch out all these arrangements for a 20 piece orchestra. Oh, yeah. wow days know. wow i also got to ask and brandon you what <laughs> has interest so did you play because were the um what they call them the rat pack were they a thing when you were we there or was that before your before. time did we mm -hmm. i don't yeah. remember that was that uh, before your time in vegas or were they no they were big i they didn't play the riviera they used most all of them played at the sands okay uh, sinatra and dean martin and sammy davis all of those, they all played at the Sands. Gotcha. Uh, and see, each of the hotels had their sort of stable of stars that they had under contract. Yeah. So they were contracted and obligated to do a certain number of weeks a year at that hotel. And they very seldom switched around, you know. Yeah. Sometimes they did, because sometimes they would, the hotels would get in bidding wars over trying to pick up different acts to get them under contract. But. Yeah. Who else? I don't want to necessarily talk 
dirt about anybody, but was there anyone that sticks out as say, we'll just say that was challenging to work with? Well, actually none of the, the people that we played for at the Riviera all were pretty good people. Pretty That's nice. good. Yeah. Barbara Streisand was under contract at the Riviera, but, uh, and I was hoping we get to play her show, but, and cause she was still under contract. But the reason I got the job at the, at the Riviera is she was upset the last time she played the, the hotel uh, with the band. She didn't like the band. And so she got them fired basically the whole time. Oh. And that's when they hired a new conductor and new players and all. And Archie got hired there. And then Archie called me and last asked me if I wanted to come over to work at the Riviera. I was working at the Stardust and, and I said, yeah, I, love to do that because at least working at the Riviera you change shows every couple of weeks so it wasn't quite so boring because the Stardust we'd play the same show for a year and a half straight exactly the same show and that that got to be really boring after a while yeah I can imagine all right well so you can then I guess thank Barbara Streisand for getting your start and yeah exactly there you go yeah all right. Well, and I guess they didn't really have, I guess, cards, trading cards weren't necessarily a thing for the musicians and the celebrities back then. But I do remember seeing. So probably the closest thing to it would be I know you've got a whole ton of, I guess, albums, you know, old vinyl, actual records and albums. And then photographs was kind of the thing, I suppose, because I've seen yeah, your, I, your photographs. You have by all the a lot of. A lot of- Pictures, autographed pictures of a lot of the stars that we were because a lot of times what would happen is that the close of the show the end of the two weeks or run or one week whatever it was uh we'd ask them if we could get some autographed pictures so they'd autograph them and give them to us as a sort of a parting gift kind of thing so i've got a a bunch of those uh i have a, a a record a vinyl record by the carpenters that that they signed and then the one that Kenny Rogers sign. I don't know. Those are, those are kind of fun to have. Um, yeah. They, they probably won't mean anything to anybody else because they all have my name on them, but. No, but yeah. that's cool. Those are, you would never want to sell those because the, the personal no. connection and no. meaning to them. So, you know, when, and you were talking about Archie too, I was trying to think, was Archie the one that introduced me and Pam, which is my sister, for those who don't know, to the card game 52 pickup? Yeah, that was Archie. <laughs> I think that was Archie. I never known what that card game was was before. And I think one night he was like, hey, you want to play this game? I was like, all right, what is it? I don't know. And then he showed us the game and there you go. You know the game, right, <laughs> yeah, Brandon? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, that's Archie. That's he was always doing something like that. Planets. Yeah. He was fun. Archie was a big name player too, because he played before he before he landed in Las Vegas and made his career there. He played with a Stan Kenton band for many years, traveled all over with Stan Kenton's band. So he was he was pretty well known as a as a trombone player. Yeah. Very cool. Well, all right. Well, I don't know. Do you have Brandon, do you have any questions before we move on and maybe ask about some of his uh collecting as a kid with sports cards? No, nothing else okay. like on this track, no. Dad, any other memorable stories you can think of that you want to tell before we no. move on? And I could yeah, I could go on forever, but I won't. <laughs> so. Yeah, I know. I imagine you could. No, it'd be fun. I'd be. I'd love to spend more time listening to that. Maybe we'll have you back for round two at some point. But all right. So then, is it now? And now, how long did you play in Vegas for? Because you were there. 
I was there ten years. Okay. Yeah. Uh, moved there right after I finished my master's degree at Northwestern University, and we moved to Las Vegas right after that. And yeah. I taught for the first year I was there. I really wanted to play and make a living playing. And about halfway through that year, I got my the job at Stardust. And so I taught and played the rest of that year. And then I quit teaching. And But anyway, we set, we moved there in 66. And we left there to come up to Oregon in 76. So we were there 10 years. Interesting. Well, yeah. And for those listening to this is what it's like when you grow up with a family of parents who are both because both my mom and my dad were both musicians my dad has i think what they would describe as just about a perfect ear so growing up I, it was music and sports those were the two things but i couldn't ever go out and play any sports or do anything until i did my music practicing i played the piano so i would practice the piano and i have a lot of memories of i would be playing the piano my dad would be like on the opposite end of the house somewhere and he would be yelling out, no, that's a B flat right there. You, you played a B. It should have been a B flat. I'm like, how did you even know that from that far? Away? I'm like, what do you? <laughs> yeah, so, I don't have perfect pitch, but I have really, really highly developed relative pitch. So I can usually tell what notes they are and stuff. All right. So which is, I guess, a, a good segue into you growing up. So you grew up in Denver. Yep. But somehow you became a Yankees fan. How did, how did, right? I mean, that was your baseball team growing up, as I recall. Oh yeah. That was my team was the Yankees. And ever since like I was probably eight years old, uh, which would have been like 1950. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Mickey Mantle years. I became close huge, to a huge Yankees fan and, and that just, that stuck forever. And you know, the Yankees at that time during that era, were constantly playing in the World Series and usually winning the World Series. So they were the most recognized baseball team in the country at that time. And their bitter rivals, of course, were uh, were the Dodgers. But that was, of course, when the, the Brooklyn Dodgers uh, were the Brooklyn Dodgers. And so, yeah, both of those teams in the same city, just in different boroughs, one in, you know, Brooklyn Dodgers and the Bronx Bombers and the Bronx section of New York. So that was the bitter rivalry. And they ended up playing each other in the World Series for many, many times. You know, so they were the they were the bitter rivals. I hated anybody that was a Dodger and loved anybody that <laughs> which, yeah, which is funny cool. because I've always talked about that, which is funny because I actually grew up a huge Dodger fan. And I don't really know why that is other than I grew up in Southern Oregon and there was no real baseball team there. Now the closest thing would have either been the San Francisco Giants or the Seattle Mariners. But for whatever reason, I always latched on to the Dodge or I guess Oakland A's. I had a buddy that was a huge Oakland A's fan. And but I, for whatever reason, latched on to the Dodgers. So even though but, my dad. Uh, the Yankees were that was my team. And, and all of those players in that era from, you know, outfielders were Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris. Infielders were I don't know if you remember named Tony Kubek. He was yep. the shortstop for the Yankees. Yep. And Bobby Richardson was the second baseman, and they were dynamite center infielders. There, they had a reputation for making the most double plays of anybody in the whole league. And, and then, uh, of course, my my all time favorite was the catcher was Yogi Berra. Every, every time when I was a kid, when I played baseball, I wanted to get number eight because that was Yogi's number. You know? Nice, yeah. The 
Mickey Mantle mm -hmm. was seven. That would have been my second choice. Uh, Roger Maris kind of came later, but he was a big, big name as well. He actually, Roger Maris is the first guy that broke Babe Ruth's home run record of six. Yep. yep. He was the first one that did that. Yep. And then the pitchers that I loved, I loved Whitey Ford. He was my favorite pitcher of the, on the Yankees. He was a left-hander, kind of small guy, but really good, accurate pitcher. Uh, and then, of course, Don Larson. And Don Larson made his, his mark in the record book, but he was the first one to pitch a perfect game in the World Series game. Hmm. Interesting. I did not know that. We put that in a trivia question. Uh, yes. So those were those were my favorite players back in that era, you know. And yeah. So I tried to always tried to see if I could get their cards. You know, collecting cards back then was really different because you didn't go out and buy cards. They came with bubble gum. Yeah. So if you bought a pack of bubble gum that was sort of a square the size of a baseball card, it came with a couple of three cards in it. And and they were like a nickel a piece. So you go out and buy like five packs of bubble gum to try and see what kind of cards you could get. And if you got ones that you like, great. If you didn't, you would go around trying to trade them with friends to get the ones you wanted, get rid of the ones you didn't. So it was it was an interesting process at that point. Yeah, exactly. And I they didn't they I don't think that time they would have sold. That's the only way they would have sold them. So it's not like you could uh, pick them up in sets in like a Sears catalog or something like no. that, which is how no. I remember from when I was really, really young, you'd buy the complete baseball sets out of the Sears Roebuck catalog. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. but uh, and that was before because that was when did the when when was television? It was like late forties, early fifties when television sets came in. Yeah, because because you did you get to watch many of the games or did you listen to them all on the radio? Listen to them on the radio? No, they they didn't televise any games at all back early early years of TV. We got yeah. our first television set in nineteen fifty two. And the reason we got it was uh, my older brother, Dell, played in a, in a band in Denver that was picked to march in the inaugural parade for Eisenhower's inaugural. Huh. And my dad went on the trip as a, as a chaperone. And so they marched in the inaugural day parade and, and that was televised. So we got a television set so we could watch that on TV and try and see him. Well, Turned out that uh, they were so far back in the parade that the the TV broadcast was done before they went through. So we wow. never, never got to see them marching. But well, that's all right. You got a TV out of the deal. So yeah. <laughs> okay. So you collected all those cards, and I do remember because back in when I was a kid in the '80s, which is the last time I think that cards were as hot as they are today. You know, I I remember asking you about your cards, and I remember going back to you're back to Denver and trying to search through my grandparents' house to see if we could find those old cards. So how, what all cards did you have and what happened to them? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I had, I had like hundreds of cards. Probably all Mickey Mantles, all Yogi Berra's. No, but yeah, I had some of those, but you know, and then I had a variety. I have Ted Williams and all, you know, all those other players as well. And I mean, I had a stack of cards that were several inches tall, Yeah, but they weren't, you know, Back then, we never thought much about them. I mean, it was just, oh, it was fun to have, you know, and we'd yeah. write them with people and give them away, whatever. Nobody ever even considered the fact that they might someday be of some value. Yeah. So anyway, 
when I moved out of the house and went on, the cards were, I think, probably packed away in a box someplace and in the basement of my parents' house. And, and at some point, they were trashed. Probably you know? either, yeah, probably met their demise in a garbage can, or maybe they were, you know, sold in a garage sale or something along those lines. That's probably the story of most collectors from that, or, you know, people that own cards from that era. That's why they're worth so much today because yeah. people didn't hang on to them. They threw, you know, threw them away or, or they got really heavily damaged and played with or whatever. And so as a result, yeah, yeah I, you only have. I have to say thousand. that most of the cards I had were not in real good shape. None yeah. of them I knew because we got them and thumbed through and looked at them and traded them and they got bent up and yeah. torn up all that so yeah but they still would have been some valuable any cards. any particular card that you remember recall that would have been your favorite well the two mickey mantle and yogi Berra. those were those were my two favorite cards of all yeah i always tried to pick up however many of those i could find or trade somebody for them you know? that's cool and then uh of course, uh, Casey Stengel. You remember that? Yeah. Name? Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, Absolutely. He was, the, he was the old manager of the Yankees for years and years and years. And actually, he had, there was actually some cards of him out. Uh, yeah. Oh, and then a couple of that were not as well known, but I had cards of that I, I liked a lot. There was a a first baseman for the Yankees named Bill Scourin. Was his name? Oh, the name. Don't not familiar with that name. K O W R O N. And then another first baseman that was drafted and took Scourin's place when Scourin got injured at one point was named Marv Throneberry. Hmm. And actually he became, Marv Throneberry became a sports broadcaster as well later after he, after he got out of baseball. He was never a, a real all-star first baseman. He was a good solid first baseman. Yeah. But then he retired and got out and, and uh, became a sports broadcaster. And I think he's still, I think he's got some uh, cards out there that are still being traded. And, you know, Probably, yeah, probably does. I'm not familiar with those names. I do know Casey Stengel. I did actually get, not that long ago, maybe a couple months ago, I bought a Casey Stengel card. And I want to say it was a 1951 Bowman, but I may be wrong about that. I'll have to go double check. But um, I actually have that one, I think, at the PWCC vault. Uh, PWCC is a firm that our listeners will know we talk about, but they have a vault service. And I think I've got that one stored there, as I recall. But I'll have to maybe have that one sent to the house so we can take a look at it. Well, Brandon, do you have questions? Not really. No, nothing? Brandon, all, right. Brandon, yeah. all, all those names that I just mentioned are people that are you have no idea who they are, right? I mean, because, I mean, these were like 50 years before you were born. I don't know. Most of them I recognize. Yeah, he he, he recognizes the names. Yeah. Well, and you, I'm thinking when you played baseball, you were number eight, didn't you? No, I had for a six. couple of years. You had six. For some reason, I was thinking you were eight for a couple of years, but yeah. Maybe a few. I don't remember. All I remember is six. I don't really remember. Because yeah. I didn't actually choose my number off of any significance at all. I yeah. just took whatever was there. So yeah, I don't really remember that well, to be honest. Maybe I did. And a couple of quick cards. So Brandon got, uh, Brandon obviously is really into basketball now. And you got a, what, a Don Russ Optic Mega Box over there that you ripped on Christmas Day. They say it's good luck to rip on Christmas Day. You get some good pulls. And Brandon got Maybe some, it is. you got some nice I mean, pulls. Yeah, pretty, did you do the other one yet? Which one? The one that you had. No, I, I haven't ripped that one yet. We need to do that. But talk about what, what were your big pulls? All right. Um, had, 
I mean, it's really these two. Well, you had a you had a couple, but those we were probably few, the two these biggest. Were like the top two. I mean, we had the My House, Jimmy Butler. Yeah, Jimmy Butler, My House, Hollow, John Morant. Yeah, that one. So there's an insert in that set called My House, which I really like. They're not crazy expensive, but I I think they're a cool insert, and they do they do okay. And he got a Jimmy Butler, which is one of his favorite players because he's with the Miami Heat. And Brandon's a big Miami Heat fan. And then he got uh, here. I'll show him. Listeners can't see this, but my dad, grandpa can see it. So this is the Ja Morant, my yeah. house. Ja Morant, of course, the star with the Memphis Grizzlies now. And it's yeah. what they call the hollow. So that's a nice card. And that that probably gets, I'm looking at that. I mean, naked eye, I think that's got a good shot at a 10. And that's probably, I don't know, $150, $200 card. Yes, not that, you know, you care much. The value's not all that important, but um, that's a cool card. And then here, show me that Jimmy Butler. And then you got a couple other inserts in there that were cool too. You got some other cards, right? So this is the uh, Jimmy Butler one with the oh cool with yeah. the Miami Heat. Yeah, your favorite team. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what else? You got a Dame. You got a Damian Lillard with yeah, the Trailblazers, a Splash, a, what they call the Splash kind of insert. Cool. That was a, that was a cool poll. I know our listeners can't see this, but they can hear us talk about it and hopefully know a little bit about what we're talking about. This is again, out of the Don Russ optic mega box. And so this is the splash insert. That's Damian Lillard with the trailblazers. What other ones did you get that you liked? You got a couple of the, what are they called? Timeless. What are those inserts? That one right there. T minus a couple of the T minus inserts. Um, a couple of rookies in there. There's a James yeah. Wiseman rookie. James Wiseman rookie. Anthony Edwards is in wow. there. Oh, you got it. That's right. You got an Anthony Edwards too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got an Anthony Edwards who's Ant-Man. That's what Kelly, Brandon's mom, my wife, always says she gets, every time she hears us say Ant-Man on, on the podcast, she's thinking of the Marvel movie. And I have to remind her, no, it's Anthony Edwards with Minnesota <laughs> Timber. Yeah. Hold on. Timber I got to pronounce this. Timber Wolves. Timber Wolves. Wolves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, what's the pronunciation, Frank? Uh, uh, Brandon, what's the pr- right pronunciation? Timberwolves. Wolves. Yeah, wolves. Wolves. You just said wolves again. <laughs> wolves. Wolves. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah, and then oh, and then yeah, you also got a Brandon. Also got a Tyler Hero rookie PSA ten card. We don't have that one oh, here to show, here, but got yeah. that for that for Christmas. That one's nice. And I remember, Dad, you you. So this so far, listeners will have interest because Panini was pretty gracious to you. I think I remember one year we sent you a couple of uh, Mickey Mantle cards, and they didn't show up. Panini was like somehow lost them or something. They ended up getting to you, but I think you called Panini, and they customer service was like, "Oh, we're sorry about that. They got them out to you and stuck in a whole bunch of other cards as kind of a nice gesture, right?" Yeah, the yeah the Mantle cards. 51. Yep, that's a nice card. Our listeners can't see that, but he's holding the card up. That's a nice card. Then a Mickey Mantle 1960. Nice. Yeah. And so, yeah. So then they sent me uh, a bunch of mostly football cards. And there was, including, there was, including a Von Miller, right? You got a Von Miller? Yeah. A Tom Brady, a Von Miller, and Tom Brady. Oh, a Tom Brady. Uh, I didn't know you got Tom Brady. Yeah. Those are two nice cards. And uh, Garoppolo, nice uh, Jimmy Garoppolo one. Carson Wentz, okay. It's funny that's the, that's a, a quarterback I drafted in the middle of fantasy football league this year because I had a game coming up where Russell Wilson had broke his broken his finger. Yeah, I had surgery, and so he's out for several weeks. And it was when Aaron Rodgers 
was benched because of COVID stuff. So I had no quarterback. Ah, so I went on. Go with Carson Wentz. Uh, Carson Wentz was available, so I picked him Usually up. About how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> Had to go with Carson Wentz is pretty fitting for Carson Wentz. It's <laughs> hey, he's really having a good. The Colts are having a great year. Yeah, some pretty good points. Maybe. Uh, All I right. Got a Deshaun Watson card, AJ Green, Alvin Kamara. Nice. Those are some nice cards. Yeah. All right. Let's do this. I, we're gonna. We did since it's the last show of the year. I put together a little year in review. We'll kind of touch on that. And then we want to, we also have a game we want to play to wrap things up. But um, so I was going to do, I've got two segments to this. One is well, kind of the major events that, that I think were a big impact to the hobby in 2021. And then the other are the top 10 highest selling cards. So we'll start with the major events. And I'm curious, even though I know you guys don't follow it as closely as I do, I want to get your thoughts on which one you think had the biggest impact and we'll maybe post these on our, we'll do a social media post, ask our listeners and have them vote on which of these events do you think was, would you say had the biggest impact on the hobby this year? So some of the things, and I'm sure I've missed a few of, so if you're listening and you're like, Hey, didn't mention this, my apologies. I tried to think of all the major things I could think of, but I'm sure I left a couple out, but some of the big ones, if you go back, it's actually hard to believe that it was still, that it was in 2021 because there's a part of me that feels like, it's been going on for two or three years now, but in reality, it's only hasn't even quite been a year. And that is PSA, who's the largest grading company, and then BGS, who at the time was probably the second largest grading company, both shut down to accepting new submissions in March of 2021 because they were getting flooded with cards. And as the story goes, the the post office in, uh, I forget the city, Santa Ana, maybe, I forget the city in California that PSA is based but was literally overflowing. I think at one point they received like on one day, like 600,000 cards or packages or something like that. Some crazy high number to be graded. So, so that's, that's one of them. The other, the other second one I have on the list is fanatics stepping in and getting the football, basketball and baseball licenses. That's probably the biggest for sports cards. Yeah. That, that That was probably has to be the biggest one. That might be the biggest one. Although that's probably more of a longer term impact than, than the, than a yeah, 2021 like in terms of big things that happens probably the biggest that was big and then or uh there were over a hundred thousand people attended the national card show in chicago this year as the country opened back up for covid i know i went to that myself it was a ton of fun it was a huge show it was packed they did a really good job with it but that was a big event or another one maybe not quite as big but still impactful pwcc got kicked off of ebay came kind of as a surprise, not, not only to everyone in the hobby, but to them as well. And then ended up having to launch their own auction site several months later. But that was a pretty big deal because they are, at the time, they were probably one of the largest marketplaces or auction houses for selling sports cards. I think we're, they do a couple hundred million a year or something like that. That was the pace they were on. Why did they get kicked off? What's that? Why did they so get they got kicked, kicked off. Yeah, they the so as the story goes, we don't know for sure. I don't know that eBay specifically said, but basically what was not what was believed to be the case is they got kicked off for not policing the bidding. What there was there was what people would call shill bidding that was occurring in their auctions, meaning people would place bids on things to bid up the prices that weren't that they didn't have a legitimate intention on buying. They were just trying to the price of the item being sold. And yeah. supposedly it, it's kind of a whole thing. 
scuttlebutt was that word we like to use Brandon shaking his head in disgust when I use that word, but it's, but yeah, it's um because people said the timing of it was interesting because they had a, they were launching a, what they called their premier auction, which is kind of the, the high end auction, the high value items. And they were doing that off eBay and it was the first time they started doing stuff off eBay. And then shortly thereafter, eBay kicked them off. So there's kind of a lot of question about what was really going on there, but that was one or the other one. So PSA acquired golden auctions and then also acquired card ladder. They've been quite acquisitive, including, I guess that, that gem mint that might've been, can't remember if that was 2021. I think it might've been, but so that was big. Or how about all the multi, how about the multiple record breaking multi-million dollar, easy for me to say card sales, all of the big time card sales, maybe the Josh Luber's report entitled trading cards are cool again or could it be the growing popularity of fractional ownership platforms i don't think that'll probably be it um but it is a big i think that's gonna become more and more popular or the growing popularity of nfts that's a that's a controversial one you'll get people on both sides of the argument on that one whether nfts are here to stay or not remember nft stands for non-fungible token some people like to call them jpegs are just pictures of a card on your phone it's more than that i have to admit it's more than that but i don't know or maybe it's the passing of we had the passing of many sports legends so hank aaron tommy lasorda don sutton elgin baylor uh, leon spinks marvis marvin Hagler, bobby bowden marty schottenheimer floyd little many many others passed away so we had we lost a lot of big sports legends what would be what's your all's vote on the most impactful event for 2021 for the hobby it has to be the fanatics thing fanatics Mm -hmm. yeah i would agree i think fanatics as well because i mean that's become such a huge company not just in sports card stuff but in retail in general anything sports related retail yeah yeah, I would agree. I actually, now that I think more about it, I think Fanatics is, I, I might've gone with the PSA BGS, the grading company shutting down. Cause that was pretty big. But I think, I think the Fanatics thing, because you think that's, that there, that's potentially, we'll see what happens, right? There's a lot of speculation on whether they'll acquire any of the card manufacturers, but that potentially puts tops and Panini out of the card business. It's hard to think about buying sports cards that aren't going to be tops cards, especially, or Panini cards too. So although Panini hasn't, doesn't have quite the longstanding reputation, they've only been around really in since the mid kind of 2000, early 2000s um, when they kind of started getting bigger with more licenses, but tops obviously has been around since the 1950s. So 70 I years. I, I didn't know that Floyd Little died. That's yeah. And that was Bronco. He was the first Mr. Bronco, basically. Yeah. Of the running backs. I mean, he was he was incredible. Yeah. Okay. So now I'll run down the top selling cards of 2021. We'll start at the bottom of the list with number 10 and work our way up. So we'll go from what would be the least expensive. Well, in the top 10. These are all the top 10 highest selling cards. So number 10 would be the 2003 Exquisite Collection. It's a LeBron James RPA, which just stands for Rookie Patch Autograph Card. It was a serial numbered card, so to 99, so only 99 of these exists. This one was graded nine by BGS, and it sold for, guess how much? Boy, I can see it. Oh, he can see it. 
two million dollars. I was going to say two point one million. Yeah, two that's, million that's dollars. Close. Yeah, it's yeah, right on the money. Yeah, and then the number nine card was a playoff contenders two thousand playoff contenders championship ticket. Tom Brady, that's his rookie card. It was also serial numbered to one hundred. It was graded an eight and a half by BGS. It sold for two point two five million dollars. And then actually the, the number eight card is the same card, the exact same card, only this one was graded a nine instead of an eight and a half. And so think about this for a second, that half a point, right? So the eight and a half went for 2.25 million. The nine went for 3.1 million. That's stupid. Wow. <laughs> That's How stupid. do you really feel? That's stupid. <laughs> yeah. So it was a nine, about $900,000 or $850,000, I guess, more for that half a point grade. Wow. So then number seven on the list is a hockey card. The only hockey card on the list. It's the 1979 Opeachy Wayne Gretzky rookie card. It was graded a 10 by PSA. I think there's only, I forget how many. It's a very small number of those that exist. Maybe single digits. It sold for $3.75 million. Jeez. And then this is probably a card you might've had that. I don't know, but this the, the number six on the list. I'm actually surprised it's number six and not higher, to be honest. Right. Uh, but it's 1933 Gaudi, probably one of my favorite sets. Babe Ruth card, number 53, because he has a couple different ones in that set. It's graded a nine. Got by, a nine? Graded nine by PSA. Yeah, that's, a, that's why. I mean, I think it may that be is... one of the only ones that wow. exists in that grade. It sold for $4.2 million. Wow. And then... Number five on the list. So the next two are more modern era cards. Number five is a 2017 National Treasures Panini. It's a one of one. So only one was ever made. Rookie patch auto. And it happens to be the, the patch was the NFL Shield. Those are the ones. The one of ones with the NFL Shield are the most highly sought after. It was a Patrick Mahomes. So it was his rookie. It was graded eight and a half by BGS. Not quite sure why it needed to be graded, but there you go. Eight and a half because it's a one of one. But nonetheless, and it sold for $4.3 million. And then the number four on the list was a 2018 National Treasures, one of one RPA. This was actually basketball. It was Luka Doncic. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah. That's stupid that he's so high. Now, this is the logo man. of. So if you think about the NBA, you know, the logo of the NBA, and they have that patch on their jersey with the logo mm -hmm. man. I think that's Jerry it's West. Jerry West, yeah. yeah. And so it's that one. It's a one of one. So this one was ungraded. And sold for four point six million dollars. Wow! All right, That's so then, good. so then here's the top three. He should not be four. Yeah. So, so number three on the list is that 2003 exquisite collection, the LeBron James, which was also the number ten on the list. But the difference with this one, it was the rookie patch autograph, but it, this one was a parallel, and so it was numbered to twenty three, which the other one was numbered to ninety nine. So only twenty three of these exist, which also have to be bronze jersey number so people think that might have added to it it was graded a nine by bgs it sold for the low price of 5.2 million dollars Jeez. and then the last two now this is going to give away probably one of our trivia questions but that's okay 1952 tops mickey mantle card that your grandpa probably had and got tossed probably. in the trash yeah probably had a couple of them and this, one, this one was graded a nine though by nine. PSA. So there, yeah, there's not many that got graded nine. I doubt yours would have got graded a nine, Dad. No. But this one sold for five point two million dollars. Oh, jeez. <laughs> 
And then of course the number one selling card, this is actually of all time, not just in 2021. Uh, but it was the top, the T206, which was tops 206 or not tops. It was T206 Honus Wagner card. Um, it was graded. I don't know why I said tops tobacco is what T206. They was, it were tobacco cards. It's Honus Wagner. It was graded a three, a three by SGC. And it sold for $6.6 million. Oh my gosh. So you know, I, I have a question that shows my ignorance of all of this, but do do these players when if if LeBron's got a card that sells for five million, does he get any portion of that? No, no. Uh, he didn't even. They don't even really know when it happens. They no. They now like, actually obviously like a year ago or something. One of LeBron's rookies sold, and the media member like asked him about. It. He didn't know. Yeah. They were now, like just like they're just like yeah. Like how do you feel about that or whatever? And but whatever. still, a lot of these. So a lot of these players though have deals. Like LeBron has a deal. I think his is his with Upper Deck. I can't remember, but a lot of these players will have deals with these companies for their memorabilia and to sign autographs and things like that. And they, obviously they get paid to do all that stuff. So they make money off of it, but no, I mean, these, they don't get any, any, any part of that. It's whoever, cause whoever got bought these cards, like whoever bought, got those national treasures as an example, they pulled those out of the national treasures hobby. Now those treasure national treasures hobby boxes aren't cheap. You know, they might've sold for $10,000, right or something around around those lines maybe I, I don't remember what they were back in 2017 or 2018 but they're expensive they're in the multiple thousands of dollars to get a box and if you just happen to pull that one of one turns you into a multi-millionaire but you had to get that one i mean that's the only one that you know like the luca or the patrick mahomes those are the only ones that existed so yeah. And there, you know, there were many other million dollar plus card sales. You had guys like Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, Roberto Clemente, Mike Trout, Anthony Davis, which that one I think is a little surprising, but Reggie Jackson, many others that sold for over a million dollars. And those are just the ones we know about that sold in the public. There are probably many others that sold in private that we don't know about. And but prior to last year, prior, you know, I think, um, the first million dollar card sale was that T206 Honus Wagner. And I think it was in the year 2000. And then I want to say it was either in 2019 or 2020 that we had the first time since then where a card sold for over a million. And now all of a sudden, you know, you look at 2021 and it's, there's ton, literally a couple, two, three, four dozen cards that have all sold for over a million. And for what it's worth, there are many that are predicting in the industry that are predicting that in 2022, we will see the first eight figure meaning 10 million plus card oh, yeah. sale in yeah. the, in the space, or at least the first public one. There's some people that have speculated that maybe one has happened in private, but none that have made, been made public. So yeah. So there you go. Your Jeez. year in review, 2021, the big hobby events and your top card sales on the year. Interesting stuff. All right, let's wrap it up. We've gone long here. We've gone about an hour. I'm probably going to have to edit some of this down a little bit so we don't get too long on the show, but we do want to play a game. We've got um, some trivia questions for you and I'll ask the first one. Then I'll let Brandon ask the next couple. Uh, but so this one's not a trivia question, but we asked it when we had chat on the show. So I wanted to ask you as well, what, cause you have my uncle Dave, I call him my uncle Dave. I guess he was technically what he was your nephew, I guess, but he played football. Um, I know, I know you and Bob were big athletes and, played baseball, basketball, different things. So what was your favorite sport growing up? Baseball. Baseball? 
Yeah, that was my. I, I liked basketball too, but baseball was really my favorite. All right. I was I was too short to really be uh, a force in basketball. <laughs> I, well, was, that was, I was yeah. probably only about five, six, or seven when I was in high school. So you were what six one, six two when you at your well, peak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> back, then, I mean, back then that it was I all about big down to my high school levels. So that was, that was a little more emphasized yeah. back then. Yeah. All right, Brandon, you get the next question. Okay, uh, which of these nothing in the nothing in the parentheses because that'll give. Oh it away. yeah, <laughs> uh, which of these players did not have a dad that played professional sports? Steph Curry, Eli Manning, Boone, Kyle Long, or Bill Walton? Did not have a dad that played professional sports. I think I, I know some. Of, I know that there's some of those that did that I know about. Eli Manning, of course, Peyton and his dad Archie and all of that. I think I would probably say, and I don't know this for sure. I would probably guess Bill Walton. That's right. Nice, yeah. nice mm -hmm. guess. Yeah, because Steph Curry's dad, Dell Curry, yeah. was drafted by the Jazz, and he played for like ten seasons with the Hornets. We had a really good career. Brett Boone. His father, Ray Boone, was a two-time All-Star and World Series champion. And actually, I think he even also had some other uh, brothers that played. And then, of course, Kyle Long was um, Howie Long uh, right. is his dad who played for the Raiders. Kyle was drafted by the Bears. He actually played for the Oregon Ducks. Yeah. And then, yeah, Bill. So I thought this was a good one because Bill's son played, who's Luke Walton, right? Right. Yeah, but uh, Bill's dad did not. Bill's dad was a music teacher not unlike yourself. Is that right? Yeah. I didn't yeah, know Bill's that. dad was a music teacher. Among other things, apparently he had a couple different jobs, but music teacher was one. So, all right, next one. All right, so everyone knows Wayne Gretzky is the all-time points leader in hockey, but who is second? Uh, Gordy Howe, Sidney Crosby, Mario uh, Lemieux. 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 Uh, Yarmir Jaeger. Mark, is it Mark Messier? Mark Messier, Mark good. Mark Messier yep. and uh, Alexander Ovechkin. Yep. Well done. Oh, man. Second. Who is second behind Wayne Gretzky, his all-time points leader in hockey? Who was the second one you said? Or Sidney Crosby. I think it might be Crosby. No, it is uh, Yarmir. You said yeah. it was Yager? Yager. Oh, not Yager. Yeah. Yarmir Yager. Yeah. Not okay. many people know that. Everyone thinks about Sidney Crosby. They think about Mario Lemieux, Mark Messier, obviously Ovechkin, who's, and Sidney Crosby and Ovechkin still playing. But yeah, Yarmer Yager or, or Gordy Howe. We didn't, you know. But yeah, Yager is actually the second in second place behind Wayne Gretzky. I, I, think I would guess Gordy Howe or Bobby Orr. Yeah, Bobby Orr. I didn't have him on the list. Yep, that would have been another good one. But yeah, it was Yarmer Yager. So, is, all right. Is, so I'll, I'll I'll do the next one. So, or do you want to do that one? You, oh, you okay. do that one. It's a basketball question. It you does do not that matter. one. I'll do the next two after that. No, you're going to do the last one. So, okay, I'll do this one. Steph Curry just broke the all-time three-point scoring record in the NBA. So, which of these players has the most three-point field goals in their career? So, out of these players, which one has the most three-point field goals? Is it LeBron James, Damian Lillard, James Harden, Reggie Miller, or Kobe Bryant? Oh man, uh, I think I would. It's probably wrong, but I think I would pick Kobe. No, it's not a bad guess, but it is wrong. It is actually Reggie Miller. Oh, okay. Yeah, Indiana yeah. Pacers. Right. He is, uh, now he he's not playing anymore, whereas LeBron and Damian and James Harden still are, 
and I think Harden Harden's like fifth, like fifth on the list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe. actually he might be fourth. Yeah, maybe. Well, Miller might be. Is Miller Him third mm-hmm. or fourth? I think Harden's yeah. fourth. So anyway, so he might Miller might get caught by one of those guys still playing. But as it stands right now, of those players, he's has the most. Where where is Kobe on that list? He's up there, but he's not. I want to say I don't have a list in front of me, but he's like maybe top fifteen or twenty, Probably something like that. Something yeah. like that. He didn't shoot as many threes. He, I you know, know he, he actually had, has like one game where he had like ten threes, but that's like yeah, that's it. I think yeah, it's kind of otherwise like Jordan. he didn't have like a ton of threes. He had like one game with a bunch, but otherwise he was pretty like yeah, probably average amount of threes. Yeah, I mean he was more he like was his really game efficient. was a lot like Jordan, where yeah. you know Jordan's not among the top three point scores either. I mean he might be. Yeah. I don't. Forget where he was definitely list. a better three point shooter for sure than Jordan. Yeah. Oh, so. you're opening up a debate. Well, I mean, nice. he just put took, that out to social media. More different era, yeah. So, yeah, who's the better three-point shooter, Kobe or Michael Jordan? Well, I think it's hard to. Say. Well, Michael <laughs> Jordan just didn't take that many. Yeah, as many at least. Okay. So, yeah. All right, you got the next question. Oh yeah. All right. So, which of these Mickey Mantle cards is the mo- uh, is his most expensive and sought-after card? The 1951 Bowman rookie, the 1952 Tops, 1952 Bowman, 1956 Tops. Or the 1969 tops and 56 tops is the year he won the triple crown and that 69 tops let's clarify because you can say that brandon there is that that's the one that's his last card or at least from his playing days and it's the one where his last name is in white lettering because there's two cards of that there's one with the yellow lettering name and one with the white lettering name the white lettering is the more rare of the one so that's that's the one we're talking about there Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess the 1952 Bowman or Tops? Tops. Yeah, we. I mean, you. <laughs> you're right. We kind of gave that one to you when we talked about the top selling cards of 2021 because the yeah. number what was it? The number two card was Tops Mickey Mantle, the 52 Tops Mickey Mantle. Yeah. Yeah. Five point two million dollars. Wow. So it's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. If you hadn't given that away, I probably would have picked the 56 or I don't know. It's yeah, it's funny that his rookie card, the 51 Bowman, is actually not as I mean, it's still a obviously nice and valuable card, but it's it's not as sought after as the or as valuable as the 52 tops. Yeah. You know. The other thing about Mickey Mantle that I always knew and you don't hear talked about much, he was really, really fast. I mean, mm-hmm. he stole tons and tons of bases. Uh interesting, and, yeah. You, know, his speed, you always hear about him as a home run hitter and stuff, but, but he was also really quick and for a big guy, especially. You know, yeah. So. Interesting. All right. So one more question. If you've listened to the podcast, you you're probably, probably going to get Should this I one. Ask it? Like, yeah, we got it. We got to do it to everybody. Right. We got to right. We'll test how well he's listening. <laughs> all right. How do you spell Montrez Harrell? First name Montrez, last name Harrell. Say his name again. Uh, Montrez Harrell. Oh man, I remember you guys asking Chad this, and I remember him missing it, but he came close. <laughs> so you want just the last name, the first name first and, last name, name. and last name? Okay, first name M O N T R E S, and say his last name again. Harold. Mm. H E R A L. All right. So no, they're both wrong. So his last name is H A R R E L, but that's not really important. Uh, his first name is spelled M-O-N-T-R-E-Z-L. The L is silent. Z L? Yeah. Z L. Z L. 
Montrez. It's like Montrezel, yeah, but it, but, but you it don't, don't say the L. the L. Yeah, I should have remembered that because I remember Chad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, right. Brandon's been. Yeah, that you said there was a, what they had a on one of the shows. The guy thought it was like a misprint or something. Yeah, Channing Fry, who's a you know analyst or whatever. He thought it was a misprint on the like his notes or whatever. <laughs> He's making fun of it. Been a misprint on his birth certificate. Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. We've kept you for a long time. Thank you for uh, come, agreeing to come on and do the show. We thought it would be cool. To, enduring the, the technical the, difficulties. Yeah, and enduring some of the technical difficulties that our uh, listeners won't hear, but that we had to get the show started. But, was um, I, but it was fun. Yeah, we wish we could have had you here in person to do it live, but happy that we were able to yeah. at least do it this way and get you on. And so we could have three generations of our family in the last show of the year after all that is kind of what this hobby's all about so yeah it was awesome thanks all right thanks dad thank you we'll talk to you later okay all right well that was fun hated that we couldn't see him in person and do the show live together but glad we we're able to still have my dad and your grandpa on the show yeah uh, i definitely enjoyed it uh, it's always fun hearing about all of the stories that he said uh, he told us. Yeah, it's pretty special to have three generations of the Turner family on the show. I know we've said that a couple of times, but I do feel very blessed that we were able to do that. I hope all of our listeners enjoyed it as well. It's kind of what the hobby is all about, bringing family together, sharing stories, connecting, and having a lot of fun. Definitely. All right, so that's the show for today. Calendar 2021 is in the books. Yes, it is. And we want to wish everyone a safe, healthy, and happy and prosperous new year in 2022. So Brandon, take us out. All right. We hope you enjoyed it. And we, as we always say, we are open to suggestions. So please feel free to let us know what you like, don't like, things you'd like to hear more about, all that stuff. This is your show, and we love to hear from you and get your feedback so that we can improve and make the show better and more enjoyable, informative, and valuable for you. Also remember to check us out on social media and like and follow our pages and channels, all that stuff, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and check out our website, www.the615collector.com. As we mentioned earlier, we've added quite a bit of content over the past week or two, especially in the hobby resources section. So check that out and subscribe to our email list and we will update you when we load new stuff. All right, that's a wrap on our final show of 2021. We will see you all next Friday, next year. Same time, same place here on the 615 Collector.